We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing pretty well. It is officially August, which means that I guess technically it's the quietest portion of the NBA offseason. We're still over here feeling like anything could happen uh, on any given day, right? But like August mm-hmm. is it's typically the dog days. So I'm yeah. chilling. I'm having a good time. It's been a, a really temperate, not too hot summer in New York. So I don't know about Phoenix. I'm enjoying myself, though. Yeah, um, this might come as a surprise to you. It's been hot here. Yeah, uh, in Phoenix, <laughs> just so a little far. bit. Just a little. Yeah, bit. I mean, yes, it's hot. Uh, but we got some news. I, if surprisingly, you know, we 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 waited. We've sort of stumbled onto like a midweek schedule in the off season, which tends to happen to us. I feel like during the off season, just sort of following the news around, and we waited until today to record in case any other news came out and of course some news did come out but we still have some stuff to cover surprisingly uh, like a larger amount of stuff to cover this week than i anticipated us having to talk about but the first thing i think we should talk about is just an update to what's going on with the kevin durant situation because that's just something that is on everyone's minds all the time i think just wondering when this is going to end with kevin durant and there was some reporting, some reporting by Steve Bullpit, by the way. Steve Bullpit, I, I, I am not familiar with Steve and his reporting, but he appears to be pretty well respected by other NBA reporters, which I think goes a long way for me. I don't think a lot of people tend to share uh, uh, you know, stuff from people that they don't think is, is legit. So somebody like Mark Stein... <laughs> retweeting this you're reminding me you're reminding me of that one Shaq quote that gets like memed sometimes and passed around on twitter which is like i'm sorry i wasn't really familiar with your game <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're exactly. introducing this we're not familiar with with your game mr yeah <laughs> mr, <laughs> mr. Bullpit. mr and Steve. that's that's <laughs> on me i mean he's he, it seems like he's covered the nets for a while so uh no disrespect to him of course but i thought i did see this report and then i wondered 
is that guy legit? And then I saw that people seem to buy into it and then maybe some additional reporting on top of that. But the crux of it, of this entire piece was that I'll read it. This is a quote from the somebody entire piece? from his source. Yeah, I'll read it word for word. <laughs> the entire piece on heavy.com. No, this is a quote from his source. What I'm hearing is that KD is going to meet with the owner this week. And this is the owner of the Nets. He's going directly to the owner, Joe Sai, sometime this week. We'll see how that works. Uh, and then he was asked sort of what's going to happen in that meeting. And he said, I don't know. And this was an executive. I have no idea what's going to come of that meeting. There are some things that Katie's unhappy about. And I'm not sure if any of that gets fixed here, but maybe it does, which is sort of a, uh, I don't know, a, a positive spin for the Nets at the end there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just the idea of maybe it does. We've gotten to the point now. All rumors that I've heard up till now were that Kevin Durant just hadn't spoken with the Nets Mm -hmm. at all since they were swept and that all communications were essentially done either through the media or through his agent. And now we have gotten to the point where supposedly Kevin Durant is going to meet with the owner of the Brooklyn Nets sometime this week. It could be happening. I think I've heard rumors that it would be Thursday, which for most people listening is today. Uh, So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I I wish I could give everyone out there some more concrete info. Obviously, I wish I could be inside the head of Kevin Durant, and I can't. I guess the good news coming out of this story is that hopefully it speeds along the timeline of the whole situation. Um, But I've also just noticed everyone on both sides happens to be projecting their desires, their particular desires, onto this story, right? So Nets fans see this, as you pointed out there, with the spin at the end. Nets fans see this as the first step towards reconciliation, the first sign towards, uh, okay, the Nets are actually going to run it back. Maybe they don't trade Kyrie or Durant. And Durant, there, there's some quotes in there, I believe, from some executives saying, I don't think KD is the type of guy to really, you know, wring his hands too much and like make too much of a fuss. He's going to come back. He's going to play out his contract. Who knows? That's one side of the story. The other side of the story, obviously, the, the part that appeals more to Suns fans, to us, is, well, this could be the start of a tangible demand. This could be the start of KD, which, you know, we've mentioned several times on the pod over the past couple months that, like, yes, you can talk about the Nets having, to an extent, some level of leverage here, but KD also has quite a a bit of leverage depending on um, how nasty he wants to make the situation between now and training camp, right? How many threats he wants to make to the organization. Honestly, all of that is in his hands, and he has to consider how that would affect... Um, I don't know, all sorts of things, his brand, his his legacy, whatever. Uh, but ultimately, he can put his foot down and go into a meeting with Josai and say, look, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to play here. Please move me. And of course, yeah. that would that would speed along the situation as well. So which like those are the two most likely scenarios, obviously, which is going to actually play out, which I could tell you. But uh, but yeah, hopefully um, we get some updates soon. That's all I can say. I think that there are two possibilities from Joe Sy's perspective. One is trying to, of course, convince Kevin Durant to return to the Brooklyn Nets and play. And you're right. Uh, there was a story. Basically, what he said is, this is the executive, by the way, a league executive, quote unquote. I don't see KD being a hardline guy either. Mm. If they can't get a deal done, he's just going to say, fuck it, and he'll play. And he'll play hard like he always does. This is, of course, a league executive saying it, which sounds remarkably like a Brooklyn Nets executive, by the way, if I had to guess. Otherwise, how would they know uh, that he was going to meet with the owner? 
But the other possibility for Josiah is maybe he tries to convince Kevin Durant to open up the list of teams that he's willing to play with. Maybe that's something they want to do because Kevin Durant is just asking to play for the Phoenix Suns and the Nets just don't want to, you know, they don't want to be publicly sort of owned like that by accepting the offer that the Suns are offering, uh, which may not be what they want. Uh, And maybe they're going to try and convince him to do something else. But from Durant's perspective, I think it's pretty clear and I think what, by the way, whatever news comes out first about this, whenever it does happen, is going to be interesting because we're going to be able to see some sort of game playing out in real time. But if Durant wants to leave, he has to make it clear. And I think he has to make it clear to that owner that he only wants to play for whoever he wants to play for. If it's the Suns, which of course we're hoping it is in this case, he has to make it clear. And uh, the clearer it gets that he does not want to play in Brooklyn and that he only wants to play for the Suns, if that's the best case scenario for us, the better situation that this turns out to be. And the, the implication by this entire article is that maybe it's not over uh, as far as he's not going to get traded tomorrow, but maybe tomorrow is the beginning of the end as far as what this story ends up being. Uh, because some sort of clarity, how they word it in the article, could come out of this meeting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we just we haven't had any communication, as you said earlier, for two months. It's a long time, but maybe maybe three months at this point. When did the Nets season end? Like at the start of May when they got swept? So it's been a long time to go without any clarity on the situation. And yeah, hopefully we're entering um, the final chapter here because I don't know. I I don't know how many more weeks in a row I can go with this man as our opening segment. I'm not not going (laughs) to lie to you. I wasn't super convinced that that completely not speaking with them was a great idea. I think that it's probably best to be fully open about his intentions and just be hardlined on it and just don't budge. That's the best case scenario as far as exerting the power that you have as, as a player. Uh, I think that from a team's perspective, the longer a player goes without speaking to them, the more they can convince themselves that maybe they can still play, right? To some extent, they can just have like just a little kernel of hope until he talks to them. And if he squashes that, I mean, that's that's the best case scenario. So I am actually happy that they're speaking and I would like to see exactly what happens after that. Yeah. I, I think we can we can be able to see the first report that comes out of it if it's coming from the Nets or if it's coming from Kevin Durant, depending on how it's worded. Yeah, that's true. And 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 I guess that's kind of where we take this next is evaluating the spin from, from the two different sides because there are those two sides here. That'll be, There's one more part of it I wanted to get to. And that was how this executive talked about how upset the Boston Celtics were with the story about them supposedly offering Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. (laughs) I didn't see this Uh, part. Yeah, basically, he said, I think there's some teams that aren't very happy. When they talk to Brooklyn, it gets in the papers. That doesn't help. I've talked with a couple of teams that are not happy with the rumors that creep out through all of this. It's not a good way to do business. That's probably why they won't get anything done and why they haven't had any conversations for a while. This is referring to Boston. I don't think they're going to get anything done with Boston. There have since been reports that the any trade possibility between Boston and Brooklyn is over, and that's not going to happen. And there was what I think I consider spin that Jalen Brown was never offered. This is what the Celtics are saying, that Jalen Brown was never even offered for Kevin Durant. So those are the two things I think that have come out since then. That's and I think it's it's good news. It's good news to hear 
that uh, that that's kind of over uh, supposedly. Yeah, I mean that's pretty wild spin on the part of the Celtics. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's be honest. Uh, they're not yeah. building. They were never building a serious package for Kevin Durant that d- did not involve Jalen Brown. Obviously, they're going to backtrack now that Brown himself came out. Uh, you know, in however mild of a way, but but came out publicly and kind of spoke against this is whack. <laughs> the idea of like yeah. this is whack that I'm in trade rumors again for for how many times and how many years. So that's some pretty clear spin for sure yeah and i i do think it'll be interesting to see where they go from here i think that based on where we are in this whole saga i would say that kevin durant has played it well as far as attempting to get what he wants well and and i think there's a chance that if he ends up getting traded to phoenix anyway i think there's a chance that brooklyn is really going to regret turning down the possibility of deandre ayton yeah, it's possible. Um, you you were saying a couple minutes ago, like before Kevin Durant has played this well and everything, like oh, I don't know if Kevin Durant playing it silent has been the best strategy. Right, right, right. I don't know. I I kind of wonder if KD even has a strategy or has had a strategy up to this point, and and maybe this chapter that we're talking about, the final chapter, or whatever, is kind of also the first chapter for KD. Like to me, it's entirely possible that he needed a mental reset after a, a pretty devastating playoff loss, to the extent that. He just hasn't thought about basketball for the past three months. Maybe he's played basketball. Maybe he's practiced. I'm not saying he hasn't worked on his game In or anything. In secret with Devin Booker, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily. Maybe, but <laughs> that's some rumors in L.A. But it's you know maybe he hasn't really thought about it for the past few months, and and now kind of only now is he approaching this point of being able to mentally refocus once again, and is he ready really you know to give that clear communication that we all want. So I don't know. I I just don't know if there's really been like a clear cut strategy. Um, it, it seems just as probable to me that kind of Katie's agent has been just as blind as the rest of us and trying to piece everything together over <laughs> well, the past couple months. The one thing I'll say is the way that the trade market sort of has dried up points to the possibility of him being very clear about what teams he wants to play for. And, you know, I, that's that's the way I would say he appears to have played it well. Uh, so we'll see what ends up happening. Hopefully something happens soon. I mean, the Suns have made some moves recently. Every time they make some moves, I, you know, I'm just like, hmm, is this <laughs> is this the beginning? On, on is your this going to lead yeah. to something else? Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting two-way signing. But yeah. We'll, we'll, get, two we'll fingers, get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> pointing two fingers in the air. Uh, I'm going to read a tweet to you <laughs> from somebody named Jay Crowder. Let me find it. I'm sorry. I had it up and now I don't. <laughs> Are you going to scream it at me? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's in all caps. It's got to be authentic. Required. Authentic it's to the character. That you, that you yell it. Um, Jay Crowder tweeted this week, which led to a lot of speculation. And this is what he said. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Period. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. I believe it's time for change. I want to continue growing period exclamation point by the way the period followed by an exclamation point it's a move and it's a move he's done before i don't know i don't fully understand that it's it's almost like he has to put a period on it before he you know like i don't know do you need the exclamation point when you're already all caps i don't um, think you do but then again you're not yelling right now like i asked you to so that's that's okay i understand <laughs> yeah. i understand you don't want to blow out people's eardrums i get it is jay crowder asking to be traded on twitter well, this was kind of wild right because i feel like People didn't really run with this like I expected them to. Let me say, first of all, just based on what he said there, I think those are pretty clear-cut words. However, in and of themselves, 
don't necessarily mean a whole lot. You know, like you could just be talking about any type of life change. Now, granted, we know the way that basketball players tend to operate on social media and Twitter and everything. But like had Jay Crowder just tweeted that he could be talking about like change going on in his life. Right. Doesn't have to be related to a basketball court. It's the fact that about two minutes later, he <laughs> likes a tweet from someone else. I don't know if this tweet tagged him, by the way, or how he found it. But he likes a tweet from a Mavs fan featuring a picture, a Photoshop of Jay Crowder in a Mavs jersey. So when you put together the combo of I'm liking this tweet of me in a Mavs jersey and I want change, I want to keep growing, mm-hmm. it doesn't get any less subtle than he, this. He also liked a tweet referencing the possibility of him being liked and then unliked a treat a tweet related to the possibility of him being traded to the Miami Heat as a PJ Tucker replacement I think it was Ira Winderman that that tweeted it out yes Um, (laughs) yes so it's it's it all kind of points to him sort of trying to make a point about where he's at with the Suns which I find interesting I think for a couple of reasons I think you know you mentioned that maybe people didn't run with it as if it were like it wasn't like Eric Bledsoe when Eric Bledsoe tweeted I don't want to be here and it got like 50,000 well, likes and, and let me just let me just make the distinction I'm when I say people didn't run with it yes Suns fans didn't run with it but Suns fans have kind of been talking or mentally preparing them they've been they've been talking this leads to a greater point that I want to address I guess in a little while but they've been talking about KD re- replacing Jay Crowder all summer long right so yeah, yeah obviously Jay has a right to an extent there's an emotional and a human side of basketball and he has a right to to maybe if he sees that uh, feel a certain way about it but I'm more so talking about the national media and and yeah there, I thought there was a clear difference between this where I expected like the fifth best player on a championship contending team uh, to be more of a story uh, and uh, you know for for national pundits and it wasn't I frankly I expected more people to take a shot at us like they did with <laughs> Eric Bledsoe and they didn't which I thought was interesting Um, it's because it's Jay Crowder right I mean yeah. he's like not a star player he's a yeah. Role player who's on, he's a good player, I think, and somebody who I think is, and I want to talk about this actually, who I think is underrated. But the difference between like a, a potential all star or an all star asking out, I know Eric Bledsoe never quite made it there, but he was sort of on the verge of maybe being one of those guys when he asked out, uh, doing it, and then somebody like Jay Crowder, I think that's probably the the reaction is proportional to their level of I don't know talent or perceived talent, if you will. Um, with Jay Crowder, though, I think I, I guess I have questions. Why do you think he's so upset? I think mm. is is the first question I want to ask. Sure. Because I think I'll I'll say this. I think throughout Jay Crowder's career, there have been times where well he'll he'll go to teams and then they'll just be great with him on their team. The, the Celtics, the Heat, and the Suns I think are the best examples. They they all played really well when Jay Crowder was on those teams. And then those teams don't win a title, right? And then everyone looks for somebody to blame. And then oftentimes I think the fans sort of point at Jay Crowder and his inability to be consistent offensively as a reason that those teams didn't succeed. And I think that the way Jay Crowder has taken the blame, even for the Suns' failures, is unfair to what he has brought this team. And I think it it's just sort of misplaced blame in so many cases, because oftentimes when teams fail to succeed at the highest level, uh, role players have have an effect on it. But oftentimes it's a failure organizationally, and 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 maybe even of the top end talent uh, players like Devin Booker or Chris Paul should take more of the heat than somebody like Jay Crowder, who in reality is there doing his job and and often does it as well as he's expected to at the very least. 
so maybe he's mad about being blamed for things going wrong. I see people, you know, I think that some people appreciate him, but I see some people trying to blame him for a lot of the son's failures. And maybe that's a little unfair to him, but could it be something else? Or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, people have blamed every, you know, I think there are sections of Suns Twitter or Suns fans yeah. or, or whatever who have blamed every single person at this point. Everyone has their own personal target. With Jay, yeah. there's a very, I guess, very simple answer for why Jay Crowder would be upset. He's a human being, you know? Like, right. I, I right. think it's important to start when you have a situation like this by trying to approach it from a place of empathy you know, you and I, Mike, we're very privileged to do this podcast. Yeah. We also, as as I think everyone knows, you know, we have our own full time day jobs, right? This is not this is not what mm-hmm. we do for a living. We have our normal jobs. In my personal day job, I'm like average. I'm very average. <laughs> I I'm not afraid to say it. I'm you know I'm doing my thing. I'm like yeah. I'm I'm shooting league average efficiency. I don't think I'm the best <laughs> one there. I don't think I'm the worst one there. I'm a role player. I'm and I'm You're, fine with yeah. being. For the record, I'm fine with being a role player. Okay. If like if I went into work for the past two or three months and nonstop all I heard through my boss, through the grapevine <laughs> of my other coworkers, people saying, Man, this office I'm being vague about what I do, by the way, but this office, <laughs> we have something here, but like, you know what could really take us to the next level? If we just replace Sam with like <laughs> a next a next level you know a next level grunt the best guy at, at the other office the right. best guy <laughs> the best guy at the other office that's what we're yeah. looking for like that's all we need to take us over the top you know i i just think it's an experience that yes they're professional athletes yes they make however much money they make it's not directly an experience that all that many of us can relate to it just doesn't happen to us and so you know i think it's it's difficult when you actually have to experience that and it's natural for jay um, to feel betrayed a little bit. That being said, I will look at it from the other side. Logically speaking, based on the player that Jay Crowder has been in the past year, based on the player that Jay Crowder was in the playoffs, um, do I actually think that like he was heavily inconvenienced by the Suns organization in the past two years? Not at all. Mm-hmm. I think the Suns oh, gave yeah. him every opportunity to succeed. I think they gave him a great point guard. Um, to make him better offensively and Chris Paul, another great playmaker in Devin Booker, who he was able to capably play off of. Um, I think they started him, you know, and continued to start him even through times of struggle, even when there were many people calling for a younger, arguably, you know, higher potential player or whatever in Cam Johnson to start instead. And the Suns stuck by Jay Crowder and they stuck by Jay Crowder in the playoffs, even when he was continuing um, to shoot poorly. He shot only like 30% from deep this entire playoff run. Yes, he had his ups, but he also had a lot of downs. So, you know, I, I guess all of this just coming around to say, I sympathize with the experience of Jay Crowder. I understand if his reaction to this almost isn't, you know, doesn't turn out to be a complete trade request, but it's kind of just like him lashing out a little bit, right? Like him feeling a little bit defensive naturally. So, yeah. um, but if it leads to a separation, you know, if if ultimately like the Suns and Jay Crowder have to part ways and and they have to find another situation for him and see whatever value they can get back. You know, I wish him the best. It was a great two years, um, but both parties just kind of got to do what they got to do. So I, I, I think I guess, you know, there's a way to analyze this kind of with nuance on both sides. Jay, I agree with everything you said for the record of like Jay Crowder was an underrated contributor in a lot of ways, particularly with what he did on the defensive end for the Suns the past two years. It's just, you know, the Suns got to do what's best for them too. It's just a tough situation, man. 
end of the day. I think that <clears throat> I agree with all of that. I, I just think it, it's probably just tough. He's close friends with uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, which I think helps his team a lot. So I don't think they, I think in some ways the Suns just don't have to acquiesce with anything he's saying right now. But really, they can just say, yeah, sorry, Jay, we'll, we'll make it up to you. Hey, we'll do our best. You know, the, from one perspective, if you want to keep players happy, if they don't want to be here, you move them because you want to have the relationship with players that sort of shows that you give them what they want in order to be successful. And then other players hear that reputation over time. So that maybe you can argue from that perspective, if somebody wants to leave, you just get rid of them. Uh, but I think Jay Crowder, there's just no reason to. I think what is kind of ironic in all of this is that if the Suns end up having to trade their best offer for Kevin Durant, uh, Jay Crowder might be the only one of the wings left. <laughs> like he might be the one left on the team. He might not be the one gone in all of this. And maybe they end up moving him for something else mm-hmm. in that case in order to get better. But I think there's a chance he stays on this team regardless of what ends up happening. Kevin Durant or not. I do think that, for those who just want to trade him right now, either based off that tweet or just based off his performances in the past, I think that you're underrating what Jay Crowder brings to this team if you think it's not going to be an obvious missing piece, even if you just slot Cameron Johnson in there. What made the Suns really great this last season and the last two seasons in particular was that they had two offensive stars that could draw the attention of the defense on a regular basis and teams rarely have two defenders that can guard two offensive stars. But the other thing the Suns starting lineup had was two defenders that could guard two offensive stars on the other team. And you take one of those defenders out of it in Jay Crowder. And I'm not even saying that I wouldn't do this, but if you take one of those defenders out of it in Jay Crowder, you're taking away somebody who has the capability of guarding someone like LeBron James or guarding Anthony Davis when there's a center on the floor, you know, or Carl Anthony Towns. And then you have a center roaming the paint to stop them from getting into the paint. You put Cameron Johnson on those guys. You're going to feel it right away. We saw Cameron Johnson. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Like I like Cameron Johnson and I think offensively, I understand the reason people just want to slot Cameron Johnson into that role immediately. But I do think that they're not acknowledging the extent to which Jay Crowder helped this team defensively and helped the players and their their places on defense make sense. Yeah. And without him, it just doesn't make as much sense defensively. Well, let's let's put it this way: Say you don't get KD, you're running it back, right? Uh, a Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson sort of platoon, like the the total sum of those two parts and the value that that provides is going to be much greater than like Cameron Johnson plus, you know, if you suddenly have to play Torrey Craig 20 or 25 minutes a game because you don't have Jay Crowder anymore because Jay Crowder forced his way out, right? Let me just take the other side, though. Um, You know, I I hear everything you're saying about the defense, and I do agree with it. Jay Crowder shot 35% on wide open threes this year. He ranked like, I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say 10th, maybe 11th on the Suns roster. Cameron Johnson shot 45%. A 10% difference is a really fucking big difference, mm-hmm. uh, especially right. when Chris Paul and Devin Booker are creating as many opportunities for those guys as they are. As of today, the way I feel, and again, you know, none of this is about denying the, the humanity of Jay being allowed to feel however he wants to feel. Um, but you still need to put the best basketball strategy in place and just, you know, you're saying Jay is underrated. I hear you. 
how I feel as of August 3rd, I'm leaning towards I would like Cameron Johnson to be the starting power forward of the Phoenix Suns if there's no KD at the start, you know, if we're really mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. talking about running it back. If Jay feels a certain type of way about that to the point where he really does not want to be here anymore, so be it. It's a loss. Think, it's yeah. a loss. And I think, you know, in certain contexts, it might be a little bit difficult to stomach. Um, but, you know, like at a certain point also, man, too bad. Like we're talking about the development that you need to get out of certain yeah. guys in order to push you to the next yeah. level. Cameron Johnson just needs to play a bigger role in the Suns going forward. And I'm not afraid of pissing off Jay Crowder uh, if it meets that goal. I'll, I'll just put yeah, it like that. I don't think that's what it is for the record. I don't think it's entirely related to whether or not he's going to start next season. But I do agree with you that I think you just, you like the potential that Cameron Johnson showed on offense is enough to want to start him on this team going forward and, or at least see if it's possible. Uh, but Cameron Johnson, his ability to remain durable enough to guard what he's going to be asked to guard and to get the rebounds he's going to be asked to rebound and then still do the scoring that he's going to be asked to do over the course of a season is going to be tested dramatically if he does start. And I hope he pulls through and I hope he plays well. I just think what Jay Crowder did, I still think, is just underrated and I hope that people learn to appreciate it a little bit more uh, before he's gone because, you know, he's played on a lot of teams so far and it seems like he always is the scapegoat. And I'll say this too, just from a contract perspective, yes, you can say that Jay Crowder is like the obvious sort of weak link offensively on the team in the starting lineup and you're right 100% that's 100% right uh, but what he's paid to do he has more than come through I looked at all of the players that were signed to the full MLE in 2020 the year that he signed mm-hmm. I'm going to read this list to you okay go for Tr- it. Tr- Tristan Thompson yikes Serge Ibaka Montrez Harrell <laughs> Jay Crowder shouldn't laugh at that one yep Derek Jones Jr. yikes and Derek Favors. Yeah. All I mean, of those guys signed for the exact same contract the same year that Jay Crowder did. Jay Crowder by the way, was, without a doubt, the best player signed to that contract that year. By the way, you look at that list right there, and maybe you start to see why James Jones's strategy has now been, let's spend part of our MLE on a big or none of yeah. it at all. Right? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. would you rather have Bismack Biombo on a veteran min uh, contract? Or who did you say? Tristan Thompson and Derek Tristan Favors Thompson and Serge Ibaka. Or even Harrell, for the, who can no longer play. Uh, Ibaka's been pretty decent, actually. But yeah, Harrell's kind of extenuating yep. circumstances. He's he's a dummy. But the other two, it's... Yeah, it's... You see why teams are afraid to pay bigs. Uh, None of these players are high-quality starters. No. I mean, literally only Jay Crowder could really exist on a good team as a starting player. Right, and could start <laughs> on like 25 teams in the NBA, probably. Exactly. And yeah. so for what he's done on this team... And for what he's paid to do, he has more than come through and I would say surpassed what he's paid to do on this team. And uh, yeah, I just I guess I feel for him a little bit just as a player and as a person because he's taken a lot of heat. And maybe there's something else going on entirely that we don't know about. I think it is basketball related, but maybe he's upset about something else. Maybe he had expectations that something else would happen or maybe he knows he's in specific trade rumors and he just didn't like hearing about that. Or maybe the Heat are really just trying to get him and they're pushing him to tweet something to try and force his way over there. I'm not exactly sure. But I feel for him, and we'll see what ends up happening. You got anything else on that? No, I think uh, that wraps it up. All right, let's take a quick break and come back to talk about some more news that happened with the Suns this week. (laughs) 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Sam, the Suns signed some players this week. And at both of their players on their two-way deals, the Suns have the ability of signing two players on two-way deals to play on their G League team. Just kidding. Uh, they don't have a G League team. <laughs> but two-way players are allowed to play in both the G League and in NBA games. And both of those spots were filled this week. Let's start with the first one that signed with the Suns. And that player's name is Dwayne Washington Jr. Dwayne Washington Jr., was the player that the Indiana Pacers cut in order to sign DeAndre Ayton to an offer sheet. The Suns immediately matched that offer sheet for DeAndre and and then later on ended up signing the player that the Pacers cut in Dwayne Washington Jr., who played quite a bit for the Pacers. Real NBA games, over 20 minutes a game for the Pacers this la- this last year. Now for the over Suns half the season, too. For over half the season. Like the Suns now have him on a two-way contract. What do you think about this signing, Sam? Yeah, well, I, I will be honest. Like I've watched a lot of Dwayne Washington Jr. in the past couple of days. My prior knowledge of who he was at the time that this signing was announced was very low. I didn't watch much Pacers basketball this year. There wasn't much reason to from an outside perspective, especially a Western Conference perspective. So at first, I was like, I would just have liked to believe that this was an expert level troll job from the Suns. That as <laughs> soon as Dw- they were like, whoever they wave, they knew that when Indiana gave the offer sheet to DeAndre Ayton, that they had to wave someone. And I would like to believe that in the Suns front office, they were like, fuck it. No matter who they wave, we're picking that guy up on a two way. It doesn't matter who it is. <laughs> like, not even do- going yeah. out and doing the research of like, this guy fills a specific need, just like trolling. That would have been funny if that if that ends up being the case. In the 48 hours since, I've actually watched quite a bit of Dwayne Washington Jr. Um, and I have some, you know, it's a two-way contract. We'll start there. The expectations mm-hmm. should be that it's a two-way contract. And there's a reason he was waived uh, in the first place. And there's a reason the Pacers chose to keep about 15 other players over him. That being said, I have some really positive things to, to say about Dwayne Washington Jr. Just based yeah. on what I saw uh, on the film. Yeah, uh, just to sort of break down some of the vitals on him here. He's 6'4", uh, 197. He's listed as a point guard, plays kind of not that. He's not a point guard. <laughs> he plays guard. A, a little bit more like, a, I would say, a shooting guard based <laughs> on not a point guard. everything I've seen. <laughs> um, he's 
he's like kind of like a movement shooter. He's a guy, he's kind of shamit he kind of a little bit. Uh, and he, he's capable of guarding, I would say, ones and twos only, probably not anything beyond that. And, uh, you know, he's he's deep, deep, deep in the Suns bench. He's basically in the place that Ish Wainwright was last year. So it's it's going to be tough for him to, to actually get minutes. But I think if you're James Jones and you're looking at this, I think it's clear why they signed him. His three-point percentage on the season was 37.7%, but his catch-and-shoot three-point percentage, 41.4%. He seems to have a skill, and that is shooting. And, and you know, the size to potentially play next to both Chris Paul and Devin Booker in a pinch if you ended up needing it. Mm-hmm. His pull-up three-point shooting, I just want to mention, 28%. So great. if you're trying to think of whether or not he can you know, run the pick and roll and shoot behind screens. Doesn't look that way right now. Maybe that changes in the future. It doesn't seem like a guy who maybe is going to create a ton of his own offense or even a ton for others. But as far as being able to be a capable shooter, I would say that's the first thing that stands out to me. Yeah, so I I would agree with most of what you said there. Um, For sure, the one skill he has right now, the thing that's keeping him on an NBA roster is... He's a catch and shoot. Uh, he has a catch and shoot talent, like you said, forty-one percent on catch and shoot threes, forty-seven percent on corner threes. As I was watching, like I watched basically every three that he took uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier this morning because I was bored. Again, guys, it's August. Um, I was impressed by the number of transition threes that I saw and just running the floor really well, getting to his spots, not necessarily above the break, but more so on the wing in the corner. Um, quick release and and just yeah he's he's pretty good at this stuff is he a movement shooter like Landry Shaman is a movement shooter I probably wouldn't say so um, but he has an obvious catch and shoot talent that's going to keep him on an NBA basketball court and as you look at the Suns backup guard rotation right now you say maybe he's not going to get a lot of minutes but Alfred Payton's not coming back right so we have yeah not yeah. that he would have deserved those minutes anyway so we have campaign we have Landry Shamit. And we have Damian Lee. And that's your backup guard rotation. And I just, I look here. I don't instantly put Dwayne Washington ahead of any of those guys yeah. on the depth chart. But you right. can see potential for him to kind of penetrate that rotation, right? I mean, none of those three guys, what's what's our max level of confidence in any of those three guys, Mike? Is it above 60% confidence in any <laughs> of those guys going into next season, right? It's kind of just the fact of the matter. Yeah. And as a guy, I mean, Landry himself, the guy who was supposed to be this ultimate amazing shooter, even he didn't shoot that well on catch and shoot threes last year. Dwayne Washington, if he can keep up 40%, above 40% on catch and shoot threes, I mean, maybe he's not a point guard. He could play next to Devin Booker in minutes, right? Like, Like there's a role for him there. So that's the first part of it. The second part I will say, uh, what I like about this is he just turned 22 years old. And I feel like it's kind of a departure from the typical method of development that the Suns have been taking with their two-way contracts in the past. Great example of it being Ish Wainwright, a guy who, by the way, I think still has potential as well. More on him in a minute, but is also like already 27, 28. Here's a guy that the Suns are taking, a 22-year-old player who only just played his rookie season in the NBA. And I think really when you look at some of the stuff he does that pops on film, you can maybe trick yourself into saying, there's real potential here. This is something that we can take and we can exploit and we can mold into something good. So you point out the fact that he only shot 28% on pull-up threes last season. That's absolutely true. But what I saw when I was watching 
was a guy who has an incredibly um, happy trigger finger, a guy who is <laughs> a guy who is and this these are not always positive traits, right? But in the specific context, let me explain why I like it. Happy trigger finger, audacious, uh, really interesting dribble package, you know, a great hesitation move that he can combo into a step back, not afraid to, to just do bold shit on the basketball court. And you look at a 22-year-old kid, basically, with um, who who at his best has shown some capability to be able to pull out pull out those types of moves and self-create at the NBA level. Really draws a sharp contrast again between him and a player like Landry Shamet. Landry Shamet all along has kind of been this system player. Play it safe. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him. He's not going to make many bad decisions, but he's also not just going to go for it. He's not going to attack closeouts as as much as we'd like. He's not going to look for his own shot as much as we'd like. And here, on the other side of things, yes, it's just a two-way contract, but you have a 22-year-old kid who, you know, if you had to ask me what the Suns were thinking here, this is basically the Suns trying to say, okay, we're not going to go out and we're we're not going to give up assets for a player like Jordan Clarkson, even though we know he's available, we're going to see if we can pick up a kid and turn him into our own version of Jordan Clarkson. That's going to be one of our development projects for the year. And I think when you when you look at something um, or, or when you look at exactly what Dwayne Washington contributes on a basketball court, Jordan Clarkson is a very, very high level outcome. It's like kind of the best case scenario, but that they really play in kind of a similar way. And that's what the Suns are going for. Yeah, I could see that too. And I think I just want to mention as far as the fact that we both sort of alluded to him being more of a shooting guard than a point guard at this point, uh, B-ball index sort of, they grade players based on the assists per 75 possessions, basically, is how they do it. And he's in the 58th percentile, which is just not good for uh, point guards. Like, if you're a point guard, you want to be up towards the top, 70% or above. I mean, there are five different players on the court essentially at all times. So you yeah. got to be at least he, um, in the upper 20 percentile there. Now, one thing I will say, mm-hmm. the Pacers sucked. <laughs> it's fair. And they, you know that that matters when it comes to actually getting assists. Maybe you're making the right passes and those don't quite work. His, his potential assists number is much higher, I will say. And that could matter too. Maybe you surround him with better offensive players and he becomes more willing of a passer or, a, you know, a, at the very least, the passes are converted to assists more commonly uh, because it's difficult for a point guard to exist on a team of players who can't finish at the other end of that, especially a team trying to lose. Uh, so we'll see if that ends up helping him as yeah. far as his passing goes. Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, look, just based on what I saw, he's definitely not um, a natural point guard. I didn't see a whole lot of pick and roll synergy out of what he was doing. I didn't. I didn't see like a ton of amazing, not that he can't do it, but it's just like, you know, just to speak to the stats and the facts, he averaged five times as many field goal attempts as assists. And yes, the potential assist definitely plays a role, but like that ratio for a guy who's supposed to be a point guard is really bad. Um, he's going to be a gunner. If, if Unless the Suns can significantly change this guy's like <laughs> brain chemistry, he's going to go out onto the court and he's going to look for his own offense and he's going to be a gunner. And you know, a guy who's doing that on a two-way contract, I think sometimes you'll find frustrating. Another <laughs> fact, Dwayne Washington was not a good finisher last season. His finishing numbers, his two-point percentage inside of eight feet, inside of five feet, whatever, was really bad. And again, this is part of the reason, you know, the Pacers decided not to keep him. 
Um, but still, you can go and you can pull up highlights. I posted some to my Twitter feed of like him attacking, I think it was RJ Barrett. I can't remember exactly which Knicks player. I think it was RJ. Him just going at RJ one-on-one, hitting him with a spin move into a step back in the mid-range and just like pulling out absurd shit that just you don't see out of yeah. average Joes in the NBA. You know, like some some real Jamal Crawford type inspired stuff. And <laughs> maybe that's not always the smartest brand of basketball in every situation but like also i i think you could really argue that the suns just need that right now the suns need a brand of that and if they could turn a player who has those abilities those natural abilities and refine it just a little bit and make it more suited for their particular brand of basketball i think that would that would do them a whole lot of good um, based on what their backup guard rotation is looking like yeah it'll be interesting to see how they develop him because he's, he's 22 by the way i don't know if i mentioned his age uh, or at least he was this last season. I'm not sure what his birthday is, but he's young. He's, he's, I guess, the youngest player on the Suns <laughs> going into this next season. Uh, so as far as uh, the coaching staff goes, they have a guy who probably is not going to get a ton of minutes this season. This is, this they, is our they version. They have the ability of developing him. Yeah, this is our version of a draft pick now. We didn't do anything yeah. on draft night. This is as close as we're going to get. So <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, the Suns don't have a G League team, right? So I think if you're... If you're a player willing to sign a two-way deal on the Suns, you probably think that maybe you are going to get some minutes in the NBA. And, you know, Chris Paul's older. So if he ends up missing games, which he did this last year with a broken thumb, uh, maybe he does end up playing games because of that. And that's somebody where Dwayne uh, can step in. By the way, these two-way guys, they can't play a lot. I think they have a limit, maybe like half the season or something like that. And then they're not allowed to play any more games in the NBA beyond that. Uh, so, you know, he's not a guy who's going to play every day. So don't expect that. Yeah, uh, you can only of, have yeah. how many guys I, I should know this, but how many guys are you even allowed to have active in any given game? Is it 13? And yeah, I then, think it's 13. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're allowed to designate 13 guys as active, bef- which you have to do before every game, which means like two guys who have guaranteed roster spots are are guaranteed DNPs, right? Because yeah. they're just they're going to be in, in plain clothes. And then this is if you have a fully healthy roster after those two guys then you have the two two-way guys. So the only way he sees the floor is there have to be a couple of injuries um, or or some other sort of catastrophic thing has to happen. So we'll mm-hmm. see. But I have uh, I have tempered expectations, mm-hmm. but also like, yeah, I think they, for a two-way, I really think they kind of nailed this. I, uh, I'm excited to see what he can bring. And the Suns have two. NBA teams have two two-way spots, and they filled... The other spot as well with Ish Wainwright, who was one of the Suns' two-way players last year, converted to a regular deal for the postseason in order for him to be available in postseason games. He's returning now on a two-way deal on the Suns, which took, I think, a while for that to happen for the Suns, which I is a little suspicious to me uh, because if the Suns were just going to return him on a two-way deal, they could have done that a while back. Uh, but he returns on a two-way deal. I think the biggest surprise for me in that case was that it was not a guaranteed roster spot for Ish Wainwright, who kind of shot the lights out in summer league and appears to be working really hard on his shot so far. And I think having the ability to hit a regular three pointer, just a standstill three pointer is probably going to be the weather balloon for his career as far as whether or not he's able to stay on an NBA team in the future. But Ish is back. I'm, I'm excited. I like Ish. I'm really excited too. I, I have a lot of Ish Wainwright stock. Um, and I mean, I was so impressed with watching the way that he approached summer league, particularly the fact that 
he was very clearly uh, now that now that the Suns have filled both two way spots, right? We know that none of those other guys we talked about during summer league, Olivier Saar, rest in peace. Um, none of them, none of them are gonna get a spot on this team. It would be nice actually yeah. to see Olivier Saar or, or maybe one or two of those other guys get a training camp invite at least. But we know it's it was kind of all for naught now. So Ish was really the main project there um, on the Suns summer league roster and. He could have so easily gone into that experience and said, fuck it. I'm the only project here that the team actually cares about. I'm going to take all the shots. Um, But instead, he played a system basketball that specifically looked for him to, A, make more reads than we had ever seen out of him before uh, in terms of being a playmaker kind of at the elbow position, even running a couple of pick and rolls, which was something we hadn't seen out of him before. Uh, B, continuing to play small ball center. He didn't get to do it all the time because the summer league Mm -hmm. roster had other centers. In fact, it had a ton of centers on the roster, but he got to play some small ball, which we anticipate is going to be important for the Suns again. Now that he's on the, on the actual full-time team. Um, And, uh, and most importantly, as you were alluding to just the shooting, if you want to stick in the NBA and you're not a center, you got to be able to shoot. And ish already, I've pointed out the stat a couple of times. He shot 40% on wide open threes last year. I think he's underrated in terms of his ability there. I think that would surprise a lot of people just based on, I think his total percentage was maybe closer to 31, 32%. 32, but when he was wide open, and particularly he was most often wide open because this tends to be the case, when he was in the corners, because the corner, you know, it's a bailout option. It's the defense has broken down. You've gotten past the third or fourth uh, primary offensive option and, and everything breaks down and you get it to the corner. Those shots tend to be wide open. The point is you've got to convert on them Ish was able to convert on those small sample size, but at a surprisingly high rate. And he continued to get even bolder in terms of his approach as a shooter, shooting off movement in summer league and just doing some really interesting stuff. So if he wants to develop going forward, I think he's proven himself as a defender. I think he's proven himself Mm. for his grit and his toughness. Uh, And I think the shooting is coming along. And if you combine all those factors together, you have an NBA player there and, I'm excited to see some more Ish Wainwright, that's for sure. I think he showed flashes defensively. That's the one thing I'll just push back on a little bit. But he like the the PJ Tucker comparisons are almost a little unfair for him just because of how good PJ Tucker is on the perimeter as well as guarding big guys. And I think Ish Wainwright, I think the the mold for him to be a great player, of course, is PJ Tucker. Uh but the thing about Ish Wainwright, he's six five, two fifty. He's huge. He's, he's huge, stocky. but he's also yeah. short. And in the thing about what he can be is if you put him in against a team at like small ball center and a team t- tries to post him up, well, he's 6'5", 250. Like that's not going to be easy to do. So you could see why a player who's capable of shooting who also can't really be backed down on a mismatch could be a smart type of player for a team to have. Uh, but I think his versatility on defense needs to expand a little bit. If he can find ways to effectively guard on the perimeter and effectively guard, which is asking a lot, effectively guard big men as well, I think you'll have he'll have a long-lasting career even if he tops out at like 35% from three. Of course, he's 27 already, we should say. It's not the, quite the same. Well, but this is, why so, Washington. this is why so many people compare him to P.J. Tucker. Because yeah, PJ, exactly. P, a similar route. P.J. re-entered the NBA at exactly that age. He, he played one season uh, as a second-round pick coming out for Toronto if I'm not mistaken, and he played like 15 mm-hmm. games for them, and then he was out of the league for like eight years, came back. Mm-hmm. So Ish could, I mean, Ish never played to begin with when he was 20, right? But he could do a similar thing, uh, reemerge 
in a in a real spot um, and and like play meaningful minutes for a basketball team this year. But but yeah. also like let's just circle back to the fact that we are both surprised. This was a two-way. It was yeah. not a guaranteed spot. And so what does that imply now? First of all, the Suns continue to have an open roster spot, so look out for that. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, you know, Ish needs, to, like, if the Suns go in with the same roster, he needs to beat out Tory Craig for minutes. He needs to beat out Dario Saric for minutes. He, you know, we're not even talking about the starters here. There are guys behind the starters uh, that Ish needs to beat out just to get into that second unit. So Nothing mm-hmm. is going to be easy for him. Nothing is going to be easy for Dwayne Washington. These guys have potential. Um, but, yeah, some things would have to break right. Yep. Yep, it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening there because if the Suns end up having a, a roster spot later, they had to clear a roster spot for Ish Wainwright, and they had the ability to do that because Frank Kaminsky wasn't going to play uh, for the entirety of the postseason as far as we knew. Uh, but they ended up cutting... Frank Kaminsky for him. I mean, we were asking for them to cut Alfred Payton, if you remember, Sam, in order to make room because we weren't sure about the status of Frank Kaminsky. Uh, so, you know, they, they had to do it last year. and Maybe it's something where he could still end up being uh, a player that is capable of playing in the playoffs. For the record, two-way players can't play in the playoffs. That's why we're mentioning that. Uh, so neither of these guys are capable of doing that unless they're converted into a full roster spot before the playoffs begin. So we'll see what ends up happening uh, there. Anything else on Ish Wainwright for you? Nope, glad to have some uh, closure. Might have to, I don't know, man, might have to make a video on it, Shwain, right? That's This is not a promise, so I probably shouldn't be saying it on a podcast. <laughs> but I've been thinking about, we need to get the YouTube channel active again. And in order to do that, you know, I need to feel ins- legitimately inspired. You can't make stuff if you're not inspired by by what's going on. And I'm, I'm really glad to see Ish back with the team. I actually really believe in his uh, ability to develop as a player. So we might need to expand right. on it a little bit more. Uh, in some form other than I know we've joked in the past we're not giving him like an internal development podcast episode with an hour of content <laughs> on Ish Wainwright we're not doing that but uh, maybe a YouTube video or something would be the right format to talk about it a little bit more so we'll see I posted on Twitter about this podcast I had a couple of people asking something something that people have asked us about that you and I haven't really spoken about and forgive me for not warning you about this conversation ahead of time but Patrick Batumbo Oh, was a uh, assistant coach that was hired by the Suns in this offseason. He's the only coaching news besides Monty's extension that we've heard so far. Uh, Patrick Matumbo was the G League coach for the Raptors team. And it seems like Matumbo is known as a guy who's willing to experiment, but also kind of a tough guy who's worked specifically with big men in the, in the past. And now Patrick Matumbo is on the Suns coaching staff as an assistant coach. Do you have any thoughts on him? I, the question asked to us was how he might mold DeAndre Ayton. It's uh, interesting. Based on how he has developed the bigs and the players that uh, came from the Raptors. But do you have mm-hmm. any thoughts on Patrick Matumbo? Well, I've By just, the way, not related to Dikembe, if anybody was asking. That's a good point. Um, I've just seen some videos of him. I think these were courtesy of our friend David, who did a deep dive on him at some point on Twitter. Um, but I've seen videos of him running clinics and I think that's where that hard-ass reputation comes from because he was screaming at his bigs. He did not. I think, look, this was a couple months ago that I saw these, so I'm misremembering exactly what he said. But I think, you know, Patrick Matumbo is probably a coach who is vehemently against the idea of having a, a, a TFN, a tall for nothing on his team. And mm-hmm. if you're going to be six foot 11, seven feet tall, and you're playing the center position, he wants you to screen hard. He wants you to seal hard. 
He wants you to have your hands ready at all times. You know, these are not things that I think DeAndre Ayton doesn't do by any means, but it doesn't hurt to have another guy in his ear who's not going to who's not going to relent, right? Doesn't hurt to have another guy in the on the coaching staff who big men development is really his focus and that's going to be something that he's just he's constantly touting, right? Is continuing mm-hmm. to own in on the little things. Can't hurt. Yeah, I mean, I will say it's not a coincidence that they hired him. Uh, his reputation is what it is, so they probably wanted a guy like that to be on the coaching big, staff. Um, yeah, big African dad energy, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I liked him a lot. I watched those videos that you were just talking about, and he just seems like a he seems like a hard ass. That these were not make people work really hard. If I recall correctly, these were not like this wasn't his stuff with the Raptors. This was maybe. Um, was this an African basketball clinic or something? Like, Possibly. I think he was work. Know. I think he was working with players back in his home country. I don't know if he, if he was preparing them for international competition or exactly who the players were that he was working with. But he was working them. You know, it's a mm-hmm. now. I will say it's a little bit harder to work NBA players that way. You just mm-hmm. you don't you don't always get to treat guys the the way that you maybe treat say an 18, 19 year old kid who's just coming out and and trying to make it right. It's like the parallels that people draw between college coaches at the basketball level and the actual amount of power that they have over players and, and NBA coaches. It's a different level. Um, but yeah, like I said, he he's has experience and success at the NBA level with the Toronto Raptors. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what matters most. And that's probably what got him this job. Uh, yeah, I also like the reputation of them being like relatively experimental something i've heard about the raptors team before as we know about nick nurse they tend to try a lot of things in the regular season that extended all the way to the raptors g league team and for the suns we talked about them trying different things throughout the season maybe matumbo could uh, bring some of the institutional knowledge that he has from the raptors uh, to the suns and help this, the suns try different things this is a really ignorant question of me now but i see he's congolese i'm i'm googling him right now i wonder does he mm-hmm. have an established relationship with bismack biombo that would make sense oh, that's a good question right uh, yeah that's a good question probably i imagine the should. nba community is probably relatively small of congolese people so i would imagine they're they're probably people who know each other so that's mm-hmm. a good question um thanks kai for that question by the way and kai also asked we're not going to do this now but he brought up the concept of thinking about NBA teams as bands and like he asked oh, about specifically man. what kind of band the Suns would be. So I may be bringing that back <laughs> at some point for a longer segment where we discuss what band different NBA teams are in the future. So <laughs> thanks Kai for that question. Um, lastly, and definitely not least, there is something that I did want to mention uh, a few days ago, Boston Celtics great Bill Russell uh, passed away at 88 years old and Bill Russell I think is somebody that even people our age Sam uh, he's been part of our watching the NBA throughout our lives we know Bill Russell people who love the NBA the way we love the NBA know the history of the NBA and Bill Russell was an 11 time NBA champion. He was a player coach on those Celtics teams. And what I think is pretty fascinating about him, he has been one of the best advocates for the league throughout his post playing career and his ability to be around and to influence young people going into the game throughout his time in retirement, I think is, is remarkable. And 
his honesty about his time in Boston and mm. what that was actually like hundred uh, percent has been fascinating. And I think obviously the NBA lost a great in, in, in basketball world, but even post his career, I think he's been somebody that's been very important to the NBA and uh, you know, obviously a huge loss. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about with what you said there, first of all, obviously his on court accomplishments stands for itself. Uh, 11 rings, right? Um, many as a player, two more as a coach, the first black coach of any of the major sports. And um, I want to say North America, maybe it was just the U.S. I assume it was North America, but might have to be fact-checked on that. But the, regardless, those accomplishments stand for, them, stand for themselves. Um, but just with what you were saying about his refreshing honesty, we're talking about a guy who for decades has been putting out memoirs, talking about his experience, um, the types of obstacles that he had to face. It was a very different era the NBA Mm -hmm. uh, in the 50s and the the types of challenges that were posed to someone who was as great of a talent on the court as Bill Russell. Um, But these challenges coming from his own city, his own fan base. And, you know, it's just... Like you said, he, he's been a remarkably positive advocate for the league in the years since and has helped to grow the game as a longtime ambassador of the game in a way that is not always appreciated by people in the current generation and not even by players in the current generation. You know, we, we can talk all we want about what the NBA was. This is kind of why it's dumb to compare eras. What the NBA was in the 50s and 60s and the, the level of talent and like, you know, and all that. But it's also important to, to pay respect to those guys who paved the way um, and just understand that the league wouldn't be what it is uh, without their contributions. So this in particular, one of the great legends, one of the fathers of the sport. You don't have to be a Suns fan or, or sorry, you right. don't have to be a Celtics fan um, to appreciate a, a, a guy like that and understand the loss for the community. And you didn't even have to watch him. You know, you and I had the opportunity of watching him live, of course. Let's face it, we couldn't. Um, Yeah, exactly. That being said, this is an aside, the Wilt Chamberlain Archive YouTube channel. I know, I think this has been passed around many, many times over the years and has been recommended to so many people. But if you've never checked out the Wilt Chamberlain Archive YouTube channel, um, it's it's a, as far as I know, one guy who does all this work in tracking down old, archived, non televised footage that exists of players like Will Chamberlain, of course, at the start, but he also has videos of Bill Russell. He also has videos of other early um, NBA legends from the 40s, 50s, 60s. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, I would encourage you to check check out that archival work as well. It's really interesting. 11 championships is just insane uh, for somebody to accomplish that and with the responsibility that he did. And also just to point out his advocacy for the league and obviously what he's done for civil rights, but like the importance of him being honest about his time in Boston and his time in the NBA and the struggles uh, that he had uh, in his time in the NBA and how important that is to have somebody with that level of honesty be an advocate for the NBA. Uh, It's really important. You don't want to shill, right? You want somebody who's honest about what it was like. And it's just cool that the NBA is one of the few, uh, one of the few sports I think that has, people like that that are still around who are not just saying everything that people want to hear they're telling the truth about what their experience was and bill russell was one of those people so uh shout out to bill russell and to his family uh the nba lost a great person but thanks everyone for listening uh we'll be back with a patreon episode soon and then a regular episode either when any big news drops or next week we appreciate you guys listening
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.